0: Hello, I'm Michael Serapio, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. Tonight on Primetime Politics, documents unsealed. The documents that have been tabled have erred
1: on the side of transparency.
0: The government finally releases unredacted documents related to the firing of two scientists from Canada's top secret microbiology lab. Coming up, you'll see how the health minister came under fire for his government's reluctance to release the information earlier. Also, both joe biden and donald trump are one step closer to securing their party's presidential nominations but what do last night's michigan primaries reveal about the upcoming presidential campaign and
2: we need extra investments permanent reliable funding
0: revisiting how canadian cities are funded we'll hear from the mayor of toronto former ndp mp olivia chow this is primetime politics Hello everyone, I'm Michael Serapio. We are closer now to learning more about the two scientists fired from a top secret government lab in Winnipeg. You may remember back in 2019, scientist Zhang Gochu and her husband, Keding Cheng, had their security clearances revoked and were escorted out of the National Microbiology Lab. Reports said the two had collaborated with Chinese military researchers, with the RCMP investigating the possible transfer of intellectual property without proper approval. Now, the Trudeau government refused to release more details about the case, citing national security concerns. They even went to court to keep redacted information away from parliamentarians. But today, Health Minister Mark Holland announced the documents will be unredacted and finally be made public.
1: I'm tabling in both official languages documents from the Public Health Agency of Canada and the Canadian Security and Intelligence Service related to the investigation into the activities and subsequent termination of employ- the employment of two scientists at the National Microbiology Laboratory.
0: Now, this follows the work of a special parliamentary committee that determined there was no reason to withhold the majority of the information, sparking this exchange in the foyer of the House of Commons.
1: At a high level uh, you know what you 're going to see. Uh, Is two employees who were not disclosing. I mean, they were eminent scientists, uh, people with uh, very, uh, uh, very respected backgrounds and very respected scientific work, um, who were undertaking work that they were not disclosing um, and uh, were not making public health agency work. Um, So, you know, this was work um, related to a number of different scientific endeavors.
0: Chinese military. No, no, nothing like. No,
1: not working with the Chinese. Why
0: leave it vague? Well, because I don't look.
1: look, I because because one of of the Things is, and you and I hopeful will appreciate this, is that there is a lot of very precise information in the documents. And I don't want to misrepresent it. But so,
2: you've read it, and we have, I, so and you're yes, and so I'm speaking. And so, to speaking before speaking before to, right, to and, so, it, so and, I, and to I will return it. after
1: you've had an opportunity to read it to, for you to be able to ask direct and precise questions. I don't want to mischaracterize the nature of their work, right? I mean, we are talking about employees who were let go. This is human resources issues. We're into disclosing, normally, we wouldn't do this. We wouldn't disclose the names of people, we wouldn't disclose the work. We wouldn't disclose the nature of why somebody was fired. You know, I, I worked at Heart and Stroke, uh, you know, many times when people were let go. You're not able to talk about the reasons they're let go because of, because of, because of, because of transparency. No, but th- that's the reason why. This is the reason. That's exactly why. No, first of all, so there's two different parts there. The reason why I, the reason why this is different is because of national security and the need for transparency. And that's why this is different and that's why we're behaving differently. So but understand this. Years? Why did it take four well, years to get to this in the, in the point? In the, in the principal point, uh, because, the, uh, because the, the, uh, there was a process at the moment in which there was a dispute about releasing documentations, remember that redactions are conducted by the public service and it is, should not be interfered with politically. Parliament rightfully said that they wanted to see the documents and then rightfully had questions about whether or not the unredacted documents should be made do you public. I want to know about yeah. this. Are there now questions we 're going to learn about the competency of the agency
0: you now are in charge of PHAC, that what 's been unredacted is going to embarrass the heck out of how pHAC let barn doors open and everything do, no, don 't that, think that, that's,
1: I think I'm, there was I, look I do think there was a lax adherence to security protocols. I think that there was um, an inadequate understanding of the threat of foreign interference. Uh, I believe that an earnest effort was made. Um, to adhere to those policies, but not with the rigor that was required. And I do not believe, uh, I'm not going to sit here And and say uh, anything other than the public health agency has, in all instances, comported itself in the utmost uh, professionalism, Uh, and that unfortunately, uh, and uh, you know, that there were employees who were dishonest about some of their engagements. Uh, Those engagements at no time uh, uh, led to uh, sensitive information uh, leaving the country, uh, or to uh, to things that would elevate to the level of me saying that we should get into any sort of state other than saying. In 2019, things should have been done better, and now them? are. Can you, you tell know. us how many pages? Sorry, I'm going to go here in so You're come
3: talking out. about lax adherence. I mean, people let PRC nationals into the lab. Who authorized this?
1: Well, I think that you know the, the question at the time was these were eminent scientists uh, who, whose whose research and work was well known. They were leaders in their field, some of the some of the brightest scientists that were known. And I think in 2019, the extent to which uh, China was attempting to influence the scientific community uh, or to uh, to interfere in domestic Canadian affairs was not known to the extent the two it was today. They were already in prison at that time. Yes. So and I'm I, sorry. How is it that the threat of China was not known? Well, I think that. that dimension at that point in time wasn't, wasn't around are they trying to you know to, 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 to inject themselves into domestic processes and into our science i think that the um and it wasn't that there weren't protocols in place there were policies and protocols they weren't followed. but the, that's precisely the problem and and, so and i no think else being fired then well i think that you and, and you know and i would invite you to look at the documents i have and i can tell you that in my read of the documents um in, and i think back to 2019 Uh, That there was the the lax, uh, the lax uh, adherence uh, was concerning, uh, but that it was uh, on the aggregate, uh, when you take a look at it, um, professionals who yes could have and should have done better, uh, but I don't think it rises to the to the point of being of, of firing.
0: To the United States now, where both U.S. President Joe Biden and the former President Donald Trump won both their respective primaries last night in Michigan. It paves the way for a rematch in November, but there could be challenges ahead. If Michigan is any indication about one in five Republicans are not comfortable with Donald Trump as their nominee, and some Democrats are also unsure about Biden. Well, with more on both Republican and Democratic primaries, we're now joined by political reporter Daniel Lipman. Daniel, good to see you again. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. So listen, I, I do want to begin here with Donald Trump, uh, another victory in Michigan, his fifth win in as many states, uh, Super Tuesday, still, still six days away. But I, I'm wondering, when you look at all of this, what does it say to you about where the Republican Party is right now? Because we have seen, uh, I guess, more traditional Republicans speak out against Donald Trump, warn about Donald Trump. But that's not stopping the former president from winning these uh, decisive victories.
3: Yeah, he doesn't have 100 percent of the vote, of course, um, but he does have the party uh, pretty locked down uh, and there's no risk that he will lose the convention. The problem is pivoting to the general election. He has tried to move away from his attacks on Nikki Haley. Uh, he, his campaign is trying to tell him to stop the mentions anymore since they think that she's irrelevant. But even on Sunday, he went back af- uh, after Haley again, calling her bird brain, uh, you know, brain dead. Uh, and so that is not going to make it easy for Trump to win over those Haley supporters for the general election. And so that's a real concern among Republicans, uh, in addition to all the legal cases that he might be faced in the next six months.
0: Yeah, a couple of things to, to, to break down there. Let's begin with Nikki Haley, because, you know, she has not won a single state in this primary process so far. Uh, but she continues to warn Republicans. Uh, she says that Donald Trump cannot win a general election because there essentially are too many doubts about him. How true do you think that assessment is?
3: I think she is not uh, totally wrong because you have one in five Republican voters uh, so far saying that they won't vote for Donald Trump in a general election. Uh, And so he is going to have to get disaffected Democrats, independents, uh, to come to his side if he 's losing one fifth of Republicans, uh, and so there 's a lot of people who don 't like the chaos that um, came descended on d c when he was in charge. they uh, don 't want a president that they can 't look up to if uh, you have kids uh, and they are worried that he could pull out of NATO for example and, and throw international alliances. Uh, up in the air. And so uh, there, I think that Haley has stayed in to try to keep her influence in the party, uh, see if she can negotiate with him a little bit in terms of some of his policies. Uh, But she is also looking to 2028, where she doesn't want to stay in too long, because she doesn't want to anger Republicans who think that she should see the writing on the wall and call it quits.
0: Yeah, and of course, as I said, Super Tuesday's coming up. Uh, Nikki Haley says she'll stay in until then, hasn't made a commitment beyond Super Tuesday. But you know, it it does, as you say, look like Donald Trump has the lock on the nomination right now. But there is still this question about how well he can campaign in the next calendar year. If and when he actually gets that nomination, up against that, he's already lost these two civil cases, fined more than $83 million for defaming E. Jean Carroll who who says Trump raped her, uh, fined $355 million for the fraud case brought on by the state of New York and his first criminal trial begins on March 25. So how effectively can Donald Trump really be on the campaign trail given all these legal uh, pitfalls that he faces?
3: Well, he has made a very concerted decision to take advantage as best he could, uh, best he can of the legal cases where he goes to hearings where he doesn't even have to show up. Uh, And then he will make a speech uh, to either to the judge or to the press gathered outside. Uh, And so those are almost campaign uh, stops for him. Uh, And he wants to make himself a martyr. Um, And kind of that resonates with by the economy uh, and how quickly it has moved uh, to an information. If you're a manufacturing worker, um, your your job has sometimes been shipped to Mexico or to Asia. Uh, and so there's still a lot of discontent in the country that he is tapping into. The problem with these legal cases if he is if he loses a felony charge from Jack Smith uh, about January 6th, or if he loses in Georgia, Uh, then that's going to be a real blow because there's a lot of Americans who will not want to vote for a, a felon for the Oval Office. I am less worried if he loses the case in New York about that porn star because people can dismiss it as uh, this was uh, the, the law getting stretched out a little bit too much.
0: Yeah, so the vote interference in, in Georgia uh, and, of course, uh, interfering in uh, on January 6th, those are ones to watch out for. But, you know, you talk about uh, the challenges that Trump faces, but let's also talk about the challenges that Joe Biden faces. Again, he won Michigan last night, but a significant number of Democratic voters put on their ballots uncommitted. You know, given the doubts being expressed about Biden among certain Democratic voters are right now, does this uncommitted movement present another challenge for Biden's own reelection hopes?
3: Well, the uh, uncommitted vote yesterday was. Uh, pretty consequence-free, cost-free. It was not going to result in Donald Trump getting elected. But the White House is clearly concerned about it. They have sent the top campaign manager, they've sent national security officials to Michigan in the last uh, month or two uh, to hear from that community, from the Arab American community, uh, and hear what they have to say uh, in terms of their opposition to Biden's Israel and Gaza policy. The White House will argue that and has argued that it would be the situation would be much worse if uh Biden had stopped talking to Netanyahu or had gone had written him off completely, that they can pressure the Israelis behind the scenes. Uh, but they don't have a perfect track record on that. And there's still a lot of humanitarian aid that is not uh, getting through. Uh and this is causing Biden a political problem because a lot of young people Are much more liberal uh, on a range of issues, but especially Israel-Palestine, and uh, they will have a big choice to make. Do they vote for Biden, even if they don't like his Israel policy, or do they vote for Trump or stay home, which would have the effect of helping Trump? when Trump is even more hawkish on Israel and less sympathetic to the Palestinians. So it's a real bind.
0: Mm-hmm. Listen, I have less than a minute, but I do have to ask you this, Daniel, because, you know, Michigan is the uh, one of a handful of states that is expected to essentially decide the presidential vote in November. Given that, can you draw any lessons, see any signs about the upcoming general election from how things played out last night in Michigan?
3: You can't uh, extrapolate too much, but... There is concern on the left about how Biden has done, um, about his age. So not everyone voting uncommitted was about Israel Palestine, uh, and there it's it's hard for him to sell his agenda when his voice and his uh, kind of energy is not what it was four years ago, and not what it was twenty years ago. And so uh, there, that's a real concern among Democrats. The majority of voters writ large don't want either Trump or Biden. Uh, And so it wouldn't shock me uh, if Biden at the end of the uh, primary cycle says, hey, I want someone else to run. And then you have a very contested convention, which would be candy for us journalists.
0: (laughs) Okay, well, and a chance for for you and I to speak again. Uh, But until then, Daniel, thank you for this. Really appreciate the time. Thank you. And one more note before leaving U.S. politics this evening. Mitch McConnell says he will step down as Senate Republican leader in November. The senator says he will continue to serve the rest of his term, which ends on January 2027. Mitch McConnell, who is 82 years old, is the longest serving Senate leader in U.S. history. Well, back to our country and a look at what happened in politics today. The Liberal NDP PharmaCare plan is one step closer to making its way through Parliament. The legislation now on the House of Commons notice paper and it could be on the agenda as soon as tomorrow. Canadians can expect uh, to see that we are uh, taking a uh, uh, very positive first step towards a uh, national PharmaCare program. The proposed agreement would cover some diabetes drugs and a range of contraceptive medications, including birth control and the so called morning after pill, with other details still unknown. <laughs> also today, the House of Commons passed a Conservative motion calling on the government to provide a full accounting of every dollar spent on the ArriveCan app. 170 MPs voted in support of the motion, while 149 voted against it. Canada's Auditor-General said in a report earlier this month, she could not determine the app's total cost due to poor record-keeping, but she estimates the project cost nearly $60 million. And finally, Canada's Immigration Minister, Mark Miller, was on hand at a special ceremony today, welcoming 19 new Canadian citizens to commemorate Black History Month. You have the freedom to choose what kind of Canadian you want to be. It's yours. Uh, I encourage you to assume it fully. Take the opportunity to share your ideas about the future of Canada, help the country, and shape the country that you envision. You have that power to shape it. The mayors of Canada's largest cities were in Ottawa this week, demanding the Trudeau government include them in the upcoming federal budget. In particular, the mayors want more money for infrastructure, which they say is needed to respond to record growth and challenges presented by homelessness, affordability and climate change. Well, joining us now is the Mayor of Toronto, also former NDP MP Olivia Chow. Mayor Chow, nice to see you. Hi. Thank you for being here. Uh, listen, you know, you're in Ottawa after months of battling with the government, uh, essentially asking for more money. you you've now going to get nearly a billion dollars to build new housing, hundreds of million dollars to offset the cost of housing support uh, for asylum seekers as well. With those wins, do you think you're now being heard by Ottawa?
2: Well, I'm here, not just by myself, but with the mayors, uh, Big City Mayor Caucus, which is all across Canada, we gathered and united in one voice. We have a fiscal problem. The existing tax structure are broken. It's not working. It needs fixing. It needs an update. It needs a reset. So I'm hearing words like, our city's under siege, in crisis, like, you know heavy-duty words, whether it's because of housing crisis, homelessness, encampment, asylum seekers, aging infrastructure, uh, not being able to pay for it all. And, uh, so in one voice, these cash-strapped mayor, myself being one of them, are saying to the federal government that uh, we need extra investments, permanent, reliable funding
0: you know let me jump in there because you know i've heard this before but what is it was it purely the pandemic that put municipalities including toronto so far behind that you can't ignore it anymore what exactly has created this crisis because we seem to be hearing uh from cities toronto included far more loudly now than we ever have before
2: yeah actually it comes in waves i'm not the first mayor from toronto not the first mayor across canada um Almost every mayor, uh, since the 80s, 90s especially, in the 2000s, have been saying that this, this fiscal arrangement just doesn't work, it's broken. And then it gets fixed a bit, there was a gas tax transfer, and then there was a discussion about one cent solution, which is returning the GST ascent of it back to the local government. That didn't work. And so it's app and foe. But right now, I think the crisis became a lot more stark because of combination. Number one, COVID. So like in the city of Toronto, we don't have the riders in, as many in the public transit, so we have to subsidize more. We have a huge housing crisis which is three decades in the shaping because we haven't the government have not built housing so what's happening is that people are paying so much rent they have to by the end of the month or even midway have to go to the food bank one out of ten
0: because that's Half how them, expensive housing is that's now. That's
2: right. So I think between the housing crisis, aging into infrastructure, and the COVID, and a huge number of asylum seekers coming into Canada in the last six months, nine months, and that just compound all the problems.
0: Is Ottawa doing enough consultation as they pursue these types of policies on the federal level, are they consulting enough with city mayors to make sure that there's not a negative impact, not only to Canadians that are already here, but the people they're welcoming to the country?
2: We want more immigrants. In order for Canada to grow, we need more people living in Canada. Every report you've seen said the same thing. So immigration is not the problem. Asylum seekers is not the problem. It's, be, it's The problem is that we have a housing crisis that was 30 years in the making. Because in mid-90s, the federal government, then the provincial government said, oh, it's not up to us to build anything. It's not our responsibility. And guess what? Every other country in the world have been building housing. Singapore. Federal, well, once they... One state, government building and as a result the housing cost is not so high that if if the government build housing and control the rent so that it's not so high because there's more supply then people have more money at the end of the month to go and shop to go and um, go out to the restaurant. is the growth of the middle class. Right now in Canada, the middle class are being squeezed. Whether it's more the mortgage payment because of inflation, now that makes it worse, right? And Or the rent being so high, there's just nothing left. They can't afford anything else. So that's the crisis. So what we are saying through the big city mayor caucus is that need to fix the problem we need in the long term right the fiscal arrangements needs to be fixed need a reset and this, but immediately not only do we need money for housing we need money for transit infrastructure because if you just build housing and not the not the community center and the libraries and the transit around it then you don't have complete communities right it would just be concrete blocks
0: is there something Toronto as a city can do that your government can do to to cut back costs as
2: opposed to turning to Ottawa to cover a cost? Great question. Yes, yes, we can. And we cut more than $600 million, $620 million, That's almost more than half a billion dollars in our last budget. And yet it's still not enough. You saw the police saying, wait a second, you can't cut us. Well, we, we didn't. We didn't give them as much money as they wanted we finally did Um, and we are like snow removal and all that Um, we have to deliver these services the irony is this of all the tax you pay only 9% come to municipalities the rest of it we're about to host the World Cup right coming and the men's The national men's team, the the first match, we're going to broadcast in June of 2026. The world will be in Toronto. The eyes will be in Toronto huge amount of economic benefits we won't get any of it because we don't get the sales tax or any of that right so um, which is why we need to reorganize uh, Mm -hmm. this the tax system so hopefully um, the federal government would agree into a a dialogue um, reviewing what can be fixed and number two immediately provide some kind of funding um, housing infrastructure, whatever it might be permanently mm-hmm. annually, so that we don 't have to get, get, not build the housing we want to build
0: mm-hmm. you know we keep going back to this idea of stable funding, mm-hmm. so what are you looking for here? A percentage of GST, a specific municipal tax that goes to to cities like yours? what is the solution here, do you think?
2: That's up for a conversation um, with the federal government. I don't think it will be an easy fix because that prob- this problem has been around for a little while. So hopefully there will be a commitment to have a conversation. It could be part income tax. It could be returning one cent of the GST right now is five cents that the federal government take returning one cent of it to the local municipalities, to the local people for all the services that they get. Um, so it could be any of it, but that's a conversation in the longer term. But we need to start.
0: Okay. Well, I appreciate us having a conversation today. Olivia Chow, thank you for the time. Thank you. Toronto Mayor Olivia Chow. Now, you can watch our full interview on our website, cpac.ca. You can also check it out on our YouTube channel. Now, before we leave you on this Wednesday, there was a notable exchange today in the House of Commons, leading to a point of order that we want to share. Mr. Speaker, during question period, uh, the member from Elmwood Transcona is...
1: uh, Issued a repulsive, vulgar, and unparliamentary remark to yeah. members of the Conservative right. Opposition. I would like, through you, to ask him to withdraw those repulsive remarks. Yeah. The chair did not hear the comment, but it recognizes that the honourable member from Elmo Transcosa is rising, rising on his feet.
3: Mr. Speaker, in the course of expressing concerns for the tongue of certain Conservative members that I feared would get stuck. In the backside of their leader as he exited the chamber, (laughs) I did indeed use unparliamentary language, and for that.
0: mp daniel blakey did apologize and withdraw the remarks after being prompted by speaker greg fergus and then later blakey announced he was resigning his seat at the end of march he will go and work for the manitoba premier wap canoe blakey has served as the mp for elmwood transcona since 2015 a constituency that was held by his late father bill blakey the ndp leader jagmeet singh wishing daniel blakey well in his new endeavor and that is our program for this Wednesday. I'm Michael Serapio. For everyone here at CPAC, thank you for watching. Primetime Politics is back tomorrow night, but up next, Esteban avec L'Essentiel.